Good morning, Evergreen. Could we just thank this worship team for leading us in worship this morning? Yeah. The goodness of God. All my life, God, you have been faithful. I saw, I looked over my shoulder at some of you as you were singing those words, and I could see you were meaning that, and you can sense that God has been faithful in your lives in many ways, even in the difficult times, right? Amen? Amen. God is good in those times as well. Well, I was away last weekend. I did manage to tune in to Tamil's message, Pastor Tamil's message, and heard that. But I was away last weekend, and when you get back here, you just kind of feel like, I feel kind of disconnected for a little while and that sort of thing. But being here this morning with you, I just immediately kind of reconnect. You spend a few minutes out in the foyer and you chat with a few people, and it's like, oh yeah, this is this family of faith. This is this body of Christ here that worships in this place. And it feels good to be together on a Sunday morning. For those of you that are online today, we thank you for being there online. We hope that that is part of your journey with us. We also hope that you're able to be with us in person as well. There's something very valuable about gathering together in person, face-to-face, when we can. So uh, glad to have those of you here with us today and those of you online. This church, this medium-sized church here in this place, is of course part of a much bigger church. Much bigger in the sense of the church around the world today. And we're worshiping on a Sunday morning, and there are many other churches around the world that are worshiping on this Sunday morning as well, and they might be meeting on a Saturday night or a Thursday evening, who knows. But we're part of this bigger, broader church of God. And uh, that church has existed and has gone on for nearly 2,000 years, ever since Jesus ascended into heaven and then through the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the church was born. We kind of sang about that in one of those songs, that the, the church of Christ was born or something like that, I think the song says. And we know that that is part of our heritage, that we are part of this grand kingdom of God. And the question is, how did that church continue to exist from that small band of believers in the Middle East to today? How has it grown to be a worldwide Christian faith? I mean, they didn't even have the internet in the early days. They didn't have social media. They didn't have, in many cases, there wasn't even a church building in some of those places where the church met, especially in the early days. They often didn't have paid clergy. And many of the things that we take for granted that you need to have a church, uh, historically, the church has not always had all of those things, right? Right? So there's lots of reasons, historical, political, spiritual reasons why the church has grown and been a power in the world. 
But today we want to kind of think about the ancient faith and what is it that binds us to the ancient people 2,000 years ago? What is it about our faith now that sustains us? What was it that kept the church growing and multiplying and staying healthy? And part of the answer there is certainly that the church has always practiced spiritual disciplines, we call them, spiritual practices, that corporately and individually we have kept certain things as part of who we are and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So over the next few weeks, uh, maybe as many as 10 or 12 weeks, we're going to look at various spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices that the church has kept for centuries and has, has done to sustain the faith. We're going to look at kind of the ancient ways of the church. Now, talk about ancient, way back in 1978. <laughs> that seems kind of ancient now, doesn't it? Especially when I think how old I was in 1978. Um, but a guy by the name of Richard Foster wrote a, a very important book back then called Celebration of Discipline. And in that book, he was, again, reminding the church that Certain spiritual disciplines have always been a part of the church and always been part of what we do to sustain our faith. And he, he came up with about 12 different uh, disciplines that he spoke of in his book. And I think, um, if I can remember some of these, he called them the inward and individual type spiritual disciplines. And some of those would be things like meditation, prayer, fasting, study. And then he talked about the outward individual disciplines, simplicity, solitude, submission, service. And he talked about the corporate disciplines of confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. So some of those are a little odd to our ear these days. I remember reading them in 1978 or somewhere after that. And thinking some of those sound a little bit odd to our ear. We don't often talk in church about some of them. We talk about prayer all the time. We might talk about worship and celebration. But we don't talk a lot about meditation or we don't talk a lot about confession. And some of them sound a little odd to our ear today. So it's time that we went back and just revisited some of these things together. And today, I'd like to uh, lump three of them together in a sense. Although, now, now you're doing the math and you're thinking, well, if he does three this week, it's not going to take very long to get through them. I'm not promising we won't come back to some of these, okay? But the idea is I want to lump together three of them that kind of talk about being still. And I want to suggest to you that we need to take time to be still. And so today we're going to talk about prayer we're going to talk about meditation. We're going to talk about solitude. And at the end of our end of the sermon time, I'm going to lead you through something that kind of addresses all three of them. So that's where we're headed in the next few minutes. And I want to just encourage you over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to look at the ancient faith, the ancient practices of the church, and some of these spiritual practices together. Now, as I stand up here as a leader and a pastor, I'm very much aware 
that as a leader who is encouraging people to participate in such spiritual practices, I am also a learner. And I'm learning in this process, and so I hope that you'll learn alongside of me. I think about my prayer life, and uh, all of my, well, a lot of my life, I've been working on learning how to pray. And a lot of that prayer life has been uh, ups and downs, and it's been uh, trial and error. But for a, a lot of my life, I realize that God has been faithfully guiding me and teaching me more and more about prayer. And I hope that you can relate to that as well. But I remember when I was in grade five, uh, I was given a little Gideon Bible. Now, the Gideon Society at that time was an organization that distributed the Bible. And one of the ways they did that was at every grade five student in Alberta, at least where I was living uh, as a child, got a Bible in school. I can't imagine that happening in today's culture, but it, it happened back then. And it was this little red Bible, and it was uh, really just a New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs. And in the front of that Bible, it had this reading guide that said if you read these scriptures daily, that gave you a little reading plan, that you could get through this Bible, this New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs in a year. And I remember looking at that and going, God, this was probably one of my first prayers. I said, God, should I study this Bible? Should I, should I open this? Should I read this daily? And having the sense that, yeah, I should study this and re go through the study guide. And so I did start that as a grade five kid and started pretty disciplined in my process of reading that Bible every day. And, um, and have read the Bible much of my life now since then. But I remember uh, that there were other times when I just kind of prayed to God other prayers. And I'm wondering if you've ever prayed some of those prayers of rescue. I remember being probably about the same age, maybe a little bit older. And I prayed this prayer of rescue to God. Because I was on a school bus with a whole bunch of my friends and classmates and everybody from my age to the high schoolers and, and all of that, and I was in trouble. I was on a bus. We were going between the little town of Delburn and Red Deer, and it was a 30-minute or more drive, and I had to go to the bathroom. And I remember praying this prayer to God saying, oh God, I'm in trouble. And I said, God, if you get me out of this situation, I'll read my Bible every day for the rest of my life. Have you ever prayed one of those prayers? I mean, it seemed so big and so difficult at the time, right? And I prayed that prayer to God and... and then I walked up to the bus driver and asked him if he'd stop the bus so I could do a nature pee. Everybody on the bus, of course, laughed at me, and that's what I was really wishing God would rescue me from, right? They thought it was pretty funny. But those, you know, there's those silly little prayers that we pray. And after that, I felt I had to honor my vow to, to read my Bible every day for the rest of my life. And then the next prayer was a prayer of confession and repentance for the times when I didn't read my Bible, of course, right? 
But about the time I was 15 years old, uh, I prayed the most significant prayer of my life. And that was the prayer to confess my sin, to repent, to ask Jesus to come and be Lord and Savior of my life, to accept his free gift of salvation. And I was, what we talked about at that time was I was buried in a water grave. I was baptized, and I was raised to a new life in Christ, clothed with Christ, and I became a follower of Jesus at 15 years of age. And that was the most significant prayer I've ever prayed. And then I kept on reading my Bible and praying through life, and I'm I'm thinking that this is kind of the story that many of you would tell if you were up here telling the story and the journey of your life. Because there were ups and downs in that life, of course. I remember in, uh, as I graduated from high school, it seemed really important to pray that I might have a wife and a family one day. <laughs> and God gave me a wife and kids. But I also realized that many were praying those sorts of prayers and were not getting the same answers. That not everybody who prays and asks for a spouse or prays for a certain kind of life gets that kind of life. And I realized that our prayers can be what we want, and yet maybe they're not what God has in store for us. Years later, I was uh, getting a, a second bachelor's degree, and I was beginning to get kind of thinking like, man, is this degree going to do me any good? And God, are you going to take care of me? And I prayed this fervent prayer saying, God, just give me a good job at the end of all of this. And I've probably prayed that that prayer many times too, asking God to take care of my family, give me good work, take care of the needs of our family. Well, I'm trying to tell this story of the ups and downs of prayer that I think you can relate to as well. That... This journey of faith and this journey of prayer can be challenging sometimes. Many years later, the kids were growing, and I, had, I prayed a different prayer. I had a, the doctor had diagnosed that I had a tumor in my head. And, uh, the doctors, and I had this terrible head pain that was going on. And so the doctors we're wanting to do more testing and that sort of thing. And so I gathered a few friends together and we prayed that uh, God would heal. And uh, a few weeks later, after much pain, the pain began to disappear. And after a few more weeks, I was to go back to the doctor and, and find out what was going on. And the doctor couldn't find the tumor in my head anymore. So we as friends, had prayed that together, and then we're going, well, God, did you heal, or did you not heal? Was it a coincidence, or what's going on there? And then uh, one of those friends who had prayed with us during that time developed cancer after that. (laughs) And we prayed with him that God would heal that cancer and would make him well. And we went through the ups and downs of cancer treatments with him for quite a few years, in fact. And we would rejoice when the cancer was in remission and we would weep with him when the cancer roared back to life. And we walked with my friend, I think, for maybe 10 years of this journey. And then 
one day he stepped out of this world into the next world because he was a faithful follower of Jesus. And now I presume he has a new body in heaven with Christ. No cancer there. But both stories tell the challenges, right, of how do we pray and how do we make sense of where is God in the midst of all of this stuff, right? So prayer is something we're going to be working on all of our lives, brothers and sisters. We're going to be working on it all of our lives to figure out how to live out this life of faith in prayer and worship and meditation and solitude. I want to get you to some scripture here that we can look at together. Um, Richard Foster talks about prayer being an inward and uh, inward act of solitude, an inward type of thing that we do. And I think he's mostly thinking of that passage in Matthew chapter six, verse six, where Jesus says, "But when you pray, go away by yourself." Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Yeah, that's very individual, uh, very inward kind of prayer. And of course, we pray corporately as well. But what Foster is trying to remind us is there is that time for prayer where we're just alone with God, kind of that vertical prayer that we do, and I'm, we're going to talk, spend the rest of our time kind of focusing on that type of prayer here today, that one-on-one with God. I want to read, also read uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, and this is the text that we'll stay with through the rest of this message. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Verse 6 is kind of focused on prayer there. It says, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Verse 8 in that passage is kind of focused on meditation, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Verse 9 is about kind of putting it all together in our lives, and verses 7 and 9 also addresses the benefits of such a life. So that's where we're going to go with some of this message here today. But I want to read and emphasize that verse 6 again for us right now. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Don't worry about anything. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? But it's very difficult to live that way, isn't it? Don't worry about anything. But 
Instead, he says, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. There is a bit of a discipline there, isn't there? There's a practice there of not worrying about things and to turn them over to God in prayer. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. We all have worries. We all have things that uh, we have a tendency to think about and worry about. And I think what this passage is telling us is when those worries come upon us, we can immediately cast them upon God. Now, every time we pray, we don't have to get down on our knees or bow our heads or close our eyes. Especially don't try and do that when you're driving, okay? But... We can pray at any time, right? We can just, when a worry comes to our mind, we can say, God, you've got that, don't you? And we can turn it over to him. Can we develop that kind of life where we cultivate that in ourselves so that when those worries come upon us, we say, God, I'm, I, I got to turn this over to you. We can do that while we're visiting with a friend. We can do that in any context and people won't even know we're praying, I read a book uh, many years ago now by um, Brother Lawrence. It was called Practicing the Presence of, of God. And that's his whole premise in that book, is that he encourages us to just be in contact with God all the time. Whatever we're doing to turn our thoughts over to him and to lift our prayers up to him in gratitude, like it says here, but also turning those worries over to God in prayer. He talked about being able to do it while we peel the potatoes. He talked about being able to do it in any aspect of life. And so we can be praying those prayers and continually lifting them up to God as we go through our day-to-day life. But another lesser-known book that I also read... um, This one I read uh, when I was just a young married man, I guess. And it was called The Fourth Dimension by Dr. Paul Yonggi Cho from South Korea. And in this book, he outlined a a practice of prayer that's kind of been with me ever since in my life. And so I thought we'd walk through it together here. It's not the only way to pray, of course, but it is one way that we can pray. He says, pray specifically. Specifically. Envision a clear-cut objective. And I always appreciated that about that, that book because oftentimes we pray and our prayers are very nebulous, right? We, we just pray for God help. <laughs> and that's okay too. God help uh, is a good prayer to pray. But we can also pray very specifically and say, God, this is what I believe is needed in this circumstance. And we can have a clear-cut objective. And that that means that we have to think it through, doesn't it? It means that we want to think about what we want, but it also means that we think about what it is that God wants in the world. And so we think through what it is that we're praying for specifically. He then says, have a burning desire. Psalm 37 verse 4 says that he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, that's just reminding us that if our desires are aligned with God, we want to focus in and have that desire for the outcome of that prayer. Then he says to pray for assurance. Pray until you sense you have an answer. 
Some of those answers will come immediately. Some of those prayers will come many years after we've prayed them. And some of them will come with a no attached to them. But he's saying, pray until you get your answer. And then he says, speak the word. Proclaim the answer to your prayer. Let other people know how he answered your prayer. It's one way to pray, and I would encourage you to think about how it is that you pray in your life and what ways you might want to grow in your prayer processes. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I want to draw our attention to that as we kind of move from thinking about just prayer to prayer with meditation. For there in 4.8, the scripture says, and I'm just going to take a little drink of water here. Those drinks of water seem like they take forever when you're standing up here. But I know you'll bear with me for a moment if I get a little bit of wetness in my throat here. Here we go. I'm going to move on here to Philippians 4.8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. To me, that seems like one of the greatest passages in the New Testament that says we ought to meditate. We ought to think upon good things. We ought to think about things that God is in the midst of. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. It's an invitation to meditate upon God's word. It's an invitation to meditate upon God's creation. Maybe we need a little bit of an, uh, an example of that. And uh, I think one of the best examples in the, the Bible is Psalm 8. It's a psalm that I've loved for a long time in my life, and probably it's a favorite of many of, of you. But Psalm 8, and particularly verses 3 through 9, is a meditation. There the psalmist says, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor and gave them charge of everything you made putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic, or your name, your, sorry, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Here the psalmist is obviously outdoors, looking up at the night sky and meditating upon what he's seeing, the moon and the stars. And he's filled with awe and it directs his attention to the majestic God who created them. I was in uh, California last weekend in the LA area and we happened to be talking about um, how we can do spiritual practices through the week and that sort of thing, and what can encourage us in our journey of faith. And I was sharing with some of these Christians that we could tell the people of the church that they could meditate on a psalm like this and be inspired to worship God. And these 
lovely souls of the Los Angeles area said to me, you haven't looked up at the night sky in Los Angeles much, have you? I said, no, I haven't. They said, we can't see any stars down here. I thought that was kind of sad. They said, we can sometimes not even see the moon because of smog. (laughs) I thought that's kind of sad, but I invited them all up to come to Canada where we can still see the stars, right? And where we can still see the moon and we can rejoice in the creation of our God. But of course, there's lots of other things we could meditate upon. I was totally inspired by their bird of paradise flowers that grow wild uh, under overpasses along the highways and freeways. We work so hard to get a bird of paradise flower to grow here in this climate. Some people make them uh, live. But uh, we grow, we, they grow wild in that environment, right? And they're really quite an amazing flower. When you look at them, they look like a bird that's kind of standing up there in the ditch. And you could meditate upon that flower and say, God, you created that flower and uh, you are an awesome God. And so there's lots of things we can meditate upon that will lead us to worship and to, to um, be inspired to worship our God. It doesn't have to be the sun and the stars and the moon. It can be whatever God places upon our heart. Then verses 7 and 9 of Philippians 4 remind us that this this life of not worrying about anything, but instead offering everything up in prayer, this life of fixing our minds upon the good things of God, about worshiping God in creation, has benefits. It says, then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. That's in verse 7. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Verse 9 puts it something like this, then the God of peace will be with you. I think we need more peace in our lives. We need less worry in our lives. Of course, we need to, we want to experience this kind of life where we are Cultivating a life with God where we automatically turn to him and where we spend time with him uh, in our everyday life. But the challenge, of course, for us is that we don't, often most of us don't do solitude well. <laughs> I'll confess to that. I, I, I'm a people person. I love to be with people. And it, it takes me some doing to make sure that I do some solitude with God, one-on-one with God. And I think many of us have, we do a lot of things and maybe don't take as much time as we'd like to in solitude. I hop in my car and I f- turn on the radio or the, my, my music of choice and I drown out any quiet thoughts of God, perhaps. I, I drive when I might be able to walk someplace. I... Don't take the time to be present with God. And sometimes when I'm present with God, I'm a little bit worried about what worries are going to come up in my mind. And I'm a little bit afraid of being alone with God and alone with my thoughts. I think we're all a little bit that way sometimes. And yet God calls us into times of quiet with him as well. And it's challenging to find those 
in our lives. But if we do, if we can cultivate that kind of life, the word promises us more peace in our lives, more quiet, more solitude in our lives. I think we need to, uh, we need to practice this together this morning, friends. I'm going to suggest to you that we, I'm going to read uh, a psalm for us here in the next few minutes. I've intentionally asked the worship leaders not to come up on stage right now. Oftentimes what we do in these quiet moments is we'll, we'll bring the worship team up and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have some quiet music playing. We're going to just go to God in solitude in as close to silence as will be possible here in the next few minutes. And yeah, don't worry if your small child makes a noise or something. That's not what we're saying. We're talking about just being present with God. I'm going to, we're going to, instead of being kind of corporately together for the next few minutes, we're going to be individually, uh, individually present with God. And so I'm in, encouraging you to kind of put that cone of silence over top of yourself. And you're just in touch with God on your own right here in this next moment. And so we're going to read through the, uh, this, this psalm, Psalm 46. And in Psalm 46, there are three what they call interludes in the New Living Translation. When you're reading in your Bibles and you come to those words that say interlude in a psalm, don't just read over top of them and go on. They actually refer to an Old Testament word called selah, which is a reminder that we're supposed to pause at that moment and listen to what we've heard in the psalm prior to that. By the way, selah is a great name for any of you that might be still thinking about having more children. It's a two-syllable name that ends in ah. <laughs> It was on your list. Excellent. It's a beautiful name, Selah. Uh, but you had Ira instead. <laughs> had to throw that in, Joel. Selah, it can be a beautiful name, but it's also a reminder that we're supposed to pause for a moment and listen to the rest of that, or listen to that psalm that we've just heard. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to read Psalm. There will be three opportunities for quiet meditation, quiet thought, quiet between you and your Lord. And just whatever comes to your mind from that passage, focus on it. So um, you might capture, a word might catch your attention, or a phrase might catch your attention, or a sentence might capture your attention. But then just turn that over to God. So we're going to practice this this spiritual practice of prayer, meditation, solitude, kind of all together here in this moment. Let me read the first part of Psalm 46 to you. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to do what uh, Pastor Tamil often reminds us to do, and that's to just remind ourselves that we're here with God. Breathe in and recognize that God is as close to us as our breath, and then center yourself and think about our God, then listen to his word and focus in on him. God is our refuge and strength, 
always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Selah. Pick it up at verse 4. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Selah. Verse 8, come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be free nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Selah.
invite the worship team to come up on stage now and uh, tune your instruments and get organized. Uh, I'm going to pray in a moment here. But I want to continue to encourage us to keep on growing in our faith all the days of our lives. One of uh, our deacons sent out a message to our leadership uh, just this morning saying, you know, there may be prayers that were prayed years ago that are only now being answered. I thought that was a pretty good word uh, for us this morning too. So let's keep on learning to pray, to meditate to be in the presence of our God together. Let me lead us in a corporate prayer together. Let's pray. God, we want to be a people of prayer. We want to be people who meditate on your word and upon your creation and see your hand around us. We want to be people who are unafraid of our own thoughts and unafraid of being in solitude with you. Slow us down. Encourage us to find time to wait quietly for you to speak. Give us answers to our prayers. Give us solitude and give us the peace that you've promised. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.